Last week you uh, talked or answered the question, um, how do we get the good life? And Brad answered it with the answer of God's grace fuels us for the good life, is the fuel life. This week, uh, we're going to turn the direction uh, and we're going to talk about the gospel and how the gospel points us and living the gospel is actually living the good life. So we're going to, and then we're going to jump in and yeah, we'll go from there. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, you are um, amazing. Lord, thank you for this place, for surrounding us with your presence. Lord, I just pray that our ears would be ready and ready to hear what you have for us, and our hearts would be open to what you have for us. Love you. Uh, we pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen. So, um, I recently got married, and when I say recently, I mean like five months ago. Um, and you might know my wife. She's Hannah Smith. Sometimes, well, sometimes she's up uh, in big church, and she's actually sitting back there, so you can all wave to her. Actually, and those are my parents, too. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I learned something really quick about my wife when we got married is that she is extremely, extremely organized, like almost too organized. Um, and I am the complete opposite. So it's a good thing that she's organized, but I am the exact opposite. She makes lists, everything. So chores that she makes me do on Saturday, uh, grocery lists. Um, obviously, that's a good thing because we don't want to forget any of the groceries that we need to get. But anyway, um, also like pros and cons list, reasons of why should and shouldn't make a decision. And I was preparing this week and I was reading a book about Titus and, and a question came into my mind and it's going to be thrown up on the screen. And that question is, what if God was going to create pros and cons list of why he should save us? What are the reasons why he should save us. What are the reasons why he shouldn't save us? So I'm going to need some audience participation, and we're actually going to do this, okay? So I'm going to have a cons list. I don't know if you guys can see it over there. Um, and we're going to put pros over here. Okay, so I'm going to need your help. Help me come up with some cons, reasons why God shouldn't save us. Yeah. Betrayal, for sure. That's a good one. I didn't think that one. That's good. Betrayal. I'm a teacher. I should know how to spell. Anyway, uh, any else? Yeah, sinful. Good. How about some specific sins? Let's get more specific. Yeah. We love liars. Yeah. Murder. All right, one more. One, one more. All right, so we're cheaters. Cool. Now, this list could honestly go on forever and ever. God could come up with a list. I was envisioning my head of, of him having like a scroll, and then he drops the scroll, and the lists just run on the ground, and they go on and on and on and on. There are a million reasons why God should not save us. Now think in your minds, what are some reasons why he should? I'm just going to give you a few seconds, and I'm not going to ask for anybody's help with this, but I just want you to think, 
What are some reasons why he should save us? There is absolutely nothing. There is no reason why God should save us. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn God's salvation. Not one thing. The list of cons goes on forever and ever. But there is absolutely no pro. There is no reason why he should save us. But because he is amazing, um, his grace covers every single one of our cons. All of the reasons why we shouldn't. He covers every single one of them. And he does that through the beautiful story of the gospel. And we are going to um, jump right in. Um, but we are in Titus 3, uh, 3 through 8. Um, and, and the main point of this passage, um, you can throw that up there too, um, is God's grace points us, leads us, is evident in the gospel. It's just straight to the gospel. And, and Titus 3, if you're wanting to point somebody to the gospel, if you're going to witness to one of your friends, great passage to take them to. Great passage. It lays out the gospel. So I'm going to read this to you. Um, it's kind of long, so bear with me, and then we'll, we'll go back through it and we'll pick it apart. It says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent for everyone. Okay, we're going to start right in verse 3. Um, I'm going to read that verse one more time, and, and then we're going to uh, talk about what it means. So it says, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, dis enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, Paul, who is writing Titus, which you guys have learned, um, he starts out this in with at one time. And then he goes on to list a bunch of other things of how we were sinful. And he says the words at one time because he's trying to get us to think about before God's grace stepped in and saved us. He wants us to think about when we were foolish. And a fool in the Bible is somebody who um, is completely ignorant of God. It would have been somebody in the New Testament who might have seen do a miracle, but just credit it to witchcraft. It would have been it's somebody who is completely ignorant from God. We've all been there, right? Uh, we've all, we can relate with being disobedient, whether it's disobeying our parents, disobeying teachers, uh, disobeying God. Uh, we've all been deceived and enslaved by passions and pleasures. We've given in to our sinful desires, we lived in malice and envy, and malice is wishing terrible things upon somebody, and envy is not wishing anything good on someone. 
and we've, we've hated and we've been hated by other people. But Paul uses the word one time to remind us of who we were before the grace of God stepped in and saved us before the gospel story impacted us, right? That's who we were. And this also might be referring to some of you now. If you haven't accepted this grace of God, this could be how you're living, being disobedient, giving in to sinful errors, having malice, having envy, hating someone. This might be you right now. Another reason that Paul starts with that one time is because he wants us to understand that we need, that God's grace, we need, to, we need to know God's grace so that we know who we were. It helps us understand who we were if we fully understand that God's grace, reminding us of who we were so that we can fully understand God's grace. This is who we are. And if God's grace never stepped in, this is who we would continue to be. But God's from all of this. By his grace, he saved us from all of this. Now we're going to jump into verse 4 and, and go through uh, 4 through, I think 4 and 5, yeah. And um, this is, 4 through 7 is actually um, one long sentence. So if we were going to read 4 through 7, we would just read it as one long sentence. And it's actually considered a, um, a poem that Paul would have written. And, it, and the early church would actually have recited this as a read. And, and all they would do is they would just say it together in church. They would say verse, verses 4 through 7. And the reason is, is because it reminded them of the gospel and what Jesus did. Now the very first word that I want us to look at is the word but. And the reason is, is because this is where God's grace steps in. This is where the shift happens. This is where when we go from our old selves to our new self. Paul uses this exact same language in 2 Corinthians when he talks about dying and becoming new creations, right? Same language. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Guys, the birth, the origin of salvation is in the next two highlighted words, his kindness and his love. The birth of salvation, the origin of salvation, God saved us through his kindness and his love. And I can't begin to even tell you um, or find a synonym that equates to the love of God. It's not possible. I'm going to try to help you understand it a little bit more. Uh, when I was in Oasis, I uh, went on a trip called OGN, which we actually don't do anymore. Um, but basically, we would fly to California, and we'd take classes at university, um, learning how to openly evangelize on the beaches. So we'd take the course, and then we would just go to the beaches, and we would just talk to people about Jesus. Very frightening, but it was super awesome. Um, but I remember, um, because the campus was right on the ocean, I remember just being able to uh, get up early, go out and do my devotions, and look over the ocean. And God right there. He knows that I'm a person that is very, I learn very well through imagery and, um, or just a very good visual learner. And um, the ocean just spoke to me. God's love for me is deeper, it's wider than the ocean. 
That's crazy. That is insane that God would love me that much. But the ocean is not really a good enough example because the ocean ends. God's love never ends. There's a song that um, Hannah and I have been listening to. Uh, Bethel's, Bethel's just a worship band. Their new album came out, and it's amazing. And they have a song, um, and it's called Extravagant. And it depicts God's love really, really well. So if you could throw up those lyrics. It says, God's love, it's extravagant. It doesn't make sense. We'll never comprehend the way you love us. It's unthinkable. Only heaven knows just how far you'd go to say you love us. And the line that stuck out to me is, comprehend God's love. And if you're saved, that means that you get to live for eternity, right? In heaven, you are living for eternity. Eternity is not going to be long enough for you to understand God's love. Eternity is not long enough. God's love is never-ending. And through this, because of God's love, he saved us. Didn't have to, but he did. Um, so we, we just finished talking about the origin of salvation. Now we're going to talk about how God saved us. Salvation was birthed through God's love and his kindness. Now we're going to look at how God saved us. And we see this in verses 5 through 7. So if you want to go to the next... It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Guys, Jesus died for you. I know that's a simple statement, and I know you probably hear it all the time in, in church, but Jesus died for you. God, because of his love and kindness, sent Jesus. That should hit you. It should hit you really hard. I mean, I was just thinking about um, just Jesus' death and the whole uh, process of his crucifixion and like just thinking about like the Savior that came to save me was beaten. He was whipped. He hung on a cross, a cross that was for uh, criminals that committed the worst of crimes, murder. But he did nothing to deserve it. Absolutely nothing. And he saved us. He covered all of those things that Paul was talking about. He covered all of them because of his death and his resurrection. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And then we see the work of the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, you get a free gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon It's huge. Jesus said himself in John that it is better for me to go to heaven, for me to leave this earth, and to leave you with the Holy Spirit. It is better for me to go and to give you the Holy Spirit. Think that. It is better for me to have the Holy Spirit than for Jesus to be standing right next to me. That's crazy. But the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and it creates rebirth. We no longer are bound by things, betrayal, lies, cheaters, disobedient. We're no longer bound by those things. We can live and walk freely in the grace of God. Holy Spirit helps us get rid of these sins that we've been... Holy Spirit is, is awesome. 
And honestly, if, if you've accepted Jesus and you have seen difference in your life with your decisions that you've made, then you really question if you understand God's grace and you really, really need to question if you understand God's salvation. God's gift is so good that it's going to change you. It is going to change you. If you see no change, ask yourself, do I really understand God's grace? I challenge you to do that. Holy Spirit's going to change you. Now, uh, we see the end of verse 7. It says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of, new, or, or the hope of eternal life. Now, once we have accepted Jesus, Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now we have the hope of eternal life. We are now adopted into God's family. We have the hope of spending eternity with a God that loves us, a God that sent Jesus to die for us, a God that gifted us with the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Trinity, the Trinity is in the gospel. He's in the gospel. The Godhead is in the gospel. We see God sending his us. We see Jesus dying. We see the Holy Spirit transforming us. And we get to be in, present, in the presence of that God for eternity. It's awesome. That is awesome. The grace of God is, should lead us straight to the gospel every time. Now, we can talk about all this and talk about the gospel, but, but what should the gospel do for us? And we see this in verse 8. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. The, God, the grace of God leads us to the gospel, which should lead us to doing good works. Now, good, I want to make this very, very clear. Good works is not what saves you. Doing good things is not what gets you to heaven. If it were that way, we'd have to record every single good thing that we did and present it to Jesus when we get up to heaven and say, hey, is this good enough? And then he'd have to say no. It's not because you tried to earn your way. Good works is not how we get to heaven. Good works is not the means of salvation. God's grace is, but a result of the Holy Spirit coming into us should be good works. Now, I, wanna, I want you to ask two questions to yourself, and they evolve around the motive, the motive of your good works, because this is super key. This is very, very key to doing good works. And these two questions are, am I doing good works to benefit myself, or am I doing good works to glorify God. Think about that for a second. Evaluate your life. Are you doing good things to make yourself look good? Because if you are, they're not good works. They're selfish works. Guys, we don't have to earn our way to heaven. So there is no reason for us to do good works for ourselves. There's absolutely no reason we should all be able to answer, am I doing good works to glorify God with a yes? That's the hope. That's what we should be aiming for. Every single good thing that I do is not for me. It's for you, God, and only you. I don't want any of the credit. 
I earn nothing from this, but God, I'm going to give you the glory through the good work that I do. Check your motives on the good things that you're doing. Is it for you or is it for God? Guys, the grace of God leads us straight to the gospel and living out the gospel helps us do good works, which is the good life. That is a good life. Now, I want us to think about going into Easter, and Eli already talked about it a little bit, but guys, we're entering a season of remembering, of remembering who we were, of remembering what Jesus did. There should be a time that we're not taking for granted. I can't tell you how many Easter seasons I've gone through and just kind of went through the motions. Like, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. Oh yeah, he rose cool. I've heard that a million times. But if we fully understand the grace of God and understand that he didn't have to do any of the things that he did, it should bring us to our knees and say, God, you saved me. You didn't have to, but you did. It should also make us extremely excited. Guys, our Savior raised from the dead. It's amazing. And now we get to live with hope. If you've accepted Jesus, we get to live with the hope of eternal life. It's awesome. So awesome. Don't forget the grace of God this Easter season. Let's pray.